And Jesus said, this is eternal life, that we would know Him, know Him. And then the Lord spoke to me saying that there's a generation that's consumed by power, but I'm going to consume a generation with my love, with my love, with my love. For it's not going to be the first great awakening or the second great awakening, but the greatest awakening, says the Lord, one that will awaken the bride and she won't fall back to sleep and do her slumber. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Consuming Love Ministries proudly presents the Father's Heart Podcast. What's up, guys? Tyler Medina here with another episode of the Father's Heart Podcast. So excited to be with you guys here for episode four, entering into the Holy of Holies. You know, this really is a subject that's so near and dear to my heart. I love teaching on the Holy of Holies and teaching other believers how to enter in past the veil and into the secret place of His presence where every fiber of our being resounds with the glory of God. You know, I would love to expound on this all in one episode, but there's so much here that I feel it'd be impossible to get it all knocked down in one sitting. So most likely I'll come back and do a part two, but first Anna and I will be continuing to go through the foundation series as we feel it's so important to continue to lay the groundwork for what we believe will not only affect us and you, but also the church as a whole. Amen. And so sometimes in order to advance, we have to go back to the beginning. Now, quick life update on both Anna and I. I know it's been a few months since our last episode, and it's been heavy on our hearts to return back to getting these podcasts out to you all. You know, our hearts burn so deeply for discipleship. Jesus didn't say to make converts. He actually commanded us to make disciples of all nations. Amen. And what an amazing time we live in when we can write or speak the word of the Lord, and it transcends time and space and can touch literal nations. Amen. So even if we don't get to sit down with you all in person, just know that you guys are family. We love being able to share not only our life, but our hearts with you all and see you guys grow to be all that you're called to be in Christ Jesus. Amen. So this season's been a great season of transition for our family where we're raising a seven-month-old baby, Cadence Grace, who has been completely stolen our hearts and just been a complete joy of our worlds. Uh, she is beautiful, she's smart, she's funny, and she's just a complete joy and privilege, uh, not only to be her parent, but to watch her grow. And so Anna and I are both so excited for what the Lord is doing in her life and, and uh, will do in her life. Amen. Also, we are actually in the middle of a move, which is actually why we haven't been able to do the podcast as of lately. We've been in the middle of moving to a new house roughly 45 minutes away from where we were previously, so not too far away. We're still out of the Lexington area, um, still stationed here, but we've been just setting in and building out a new studio, which you guys will get to see shortly. Um, and then also been in a transition with our church building, which has been, we've been laboring and really setting the groundwork for this next season, and I can't wait to share with you guys more details on that um, and the testimony of how God brought that about it truly amazing. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and jump into this episode. Uh, again, episode four, Enter into the Holy of Holies. You know, I believe that the veil was torn through Jesus Christ, but so many Christians spend their entire lives on the outside, peering through a veil that's been torn and talking about inner court experience from an outer court perspective. Now, how do we enter into the Holy of Holies? If you remember Matthew 4, while Jesus is being led into the wilderness, Satan comes in to tempt him and he says, if you really are the son of God, why don't you turn the stone into bread? And Jesus responds with something peculiar. He says this, that man can't live off bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. 
Now, this word in the Greek is not the logos, it's the rhema. And so essentially what Jesus is saying is he's saying that man can't live off every every word. Man can't live off it alone, but by every word, every rhema word that currently flows from the mouth of God. Let's go over it again. Man can't live off bread alone, but by every spoken word that currently flows forth from the mouth of God. Now, how do you hear every word that currently flows? You have to get into proximity. How do you get in proximity? You have to get at his feet. And you allow the oil that runs from his beard, like it ran from the beard of Aaron, to saturate every fiber of who you are, so that when you come forth from his presence, people know that you've been with the king. And the transformation that's taken place in the incubation bed of intimacy with Jesus becomes the low-hanging fruit for all who are around to taste and see that the Lord is good. See, the Word of God is one foundational tool to enter into the presence of God. One, because He is the Word. And number two, because hidden within Himself, the Word, are mysteries to stepping past the veil and entering into the deep. How many of you love the Word? Amen. Proverbs 25, 2 says this, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, and it's the glory of kings to search that matter out. I once heard Eric Gilmore say this, One thing that I learned early on in my walk with Jesus is that yesterday's communion will not suffice for today. How many know that's true? I believe it's a daily walk with his presence, a daily pursuit of who he is. See, why does Jesus speak in the parables? Why does he confine the mysteries of the kingdom within himself in plain sight? Because he knows that mystery unlocks pursuit, and it's the pursuit of his presence that unveils revelation and transformation. But I believe that God is looking for holiness. See, I don't believe that sin keeps God from looking uh, looking upon us because the first thing that he does when Adam sins is comes running after Adam saying, Where art thou? David Letter says, If I make my bed in Sheol, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. But holiness is not only a commandment according to 1 Peter 1.16 where he says, Be holy for I am holy, but it's a rite of passage that comes by way of a changed heart. And I believe that God is redefining holiness in this hour. See, not holiness in and of itself, but holiness in what the Western church has defined holiness as. So we've defined holiness as being without sin. But the word holiness is actually the Hebrew word Kadesh, K-A-D-E-S-H, which means other than, or separated, or set apart. See, to limit the expression of angelic cries that have echoed around the throne for all of eternity as being you are without sin, you are without sin, you are without sin, is to inadequately describe the heartfelt cry of angelic hosts that as they sit around the throne of God bowing low before his presence with the only response on their lips for thousands of generations as being holy. See, the reality in which I believe is that every time the angels bow low and raise their gaze back up to see a new glimpse of him that they've never seen before, for thousands of years they stared at this man with piercing eyes of fire, and every time they gaze at him, a new revelation is unveiled, a new dimension of God is unleashed, and the only response for which they can come up with is, you are Kadesh. You are holy. There is none like you. You are the rose of Sharon. You are the lily of the valleys. You are the fairest among ten thousands. You are the bright and morning star. You are Elohim. You are Adonai. You are the great I am. You are holy. Amen. Songs of Solomon says this, to arise my beloved and come away with me. But it's the foxes that have eaten up the vineyard, the little sins, the things that have sought to keep you from my presence. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Hebrews twelve fourteen says, Without holiness, no man shall see God. Psalms 24, verse 3 says, Who can ascend on the hill of the Lord but those who have clean hands and a pure heart? See, holiness and purity still matter. But this comes from a place of knowing Him and being known by Him. Understanding that repentance is not just praying a prayer or turning 180 degrees like we've been taught. 
See, when I gave my life to Jesus, I didn't turn 180 degrees and walk the other way. I came into a place called metanoia, the place of the transformed heart. My mind was washed by the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. It was transformed according to Romans 12 too. And I came into a 2 Corinthians 5, 17 understanding that I was a new creature. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things were made new. My life was changed. See, and I began to pick up the word of God. I began to eat the scroll like John on the island of Patmos. It became sweet to my lips and bitter to my belly. I See, I fell in love with the word of God. And I began to sift through it. And in it, I found keys being released on how to enter into the throne of God. See, Isaiah 22, 22 says this, that there will be a generation given the key of David that will open doors no man can shut, and it'll shut doors no man can open. John reiterates the same thing in the book of Revelation, saying that there will be a generation given the key of David, which will open doors no man can shut, and shut doors no man can open. Psalms 100 verse 4 says this, that I enter his gates with thanksgiving, and I enter his courts with praise. You want a key to entering in? Come into a place of thanksgiving. Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your love, Jesus. I thank you, God, that you work all things out for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. God, I thank you, Lord, that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. God, I thank you that your thoughts towards me are of good and not of evil, God, for a future and a hope. What is this? It's coming into agreement with the word of God. It's coming into a place of thanksgiving. You know, Thanksgiving changed my life. A lot of the things I'm walking in now, I thanked my way into. Before I ever saw the current manifestation of it, I came into a place through the door of Thanksgiving and watched God radically shift my life. See, they're, not, they're more than just meaningless verses. They are keys of revelation. This is what Colossians 1.26 talks about when it says that there are mysteries that have been kept hidden for ages and generations but are now being disclosed to the Lord's people. See, and the best part is, is that they are ours by way of divine inheritance. They are ours by way of sonship. This is why the Lord's solidifying identity in this hour. See, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just a further unveiling into who we were always called to be in the first place. The problem is that we've learned anointing before position. I want to say that again. We've learned anointing before positioning. See, your position is that you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, Colossians 3. Your position is that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Your position is that you are an heir of the kingdom of God through the door of sonship and by way of divine inheritance, meaning that heaven's economy is your economy. See, that's not limited to just monetary things. It means that the wealth of the kingdom of God becomes yours to inhabit. Healing, deliverance, miracles, signs, wonders, salvation to your family. The understanding of identity over anointing is so important, in fact, that before Jesus ever moved in a public miracle, he was first publicly and audibly acknowledged by the Father. Matthew 3, 17, it says, And I heard a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. See, beloved identity is the root of understanding in which you can live from and through a place made righteous, not by works or deeds, but by way of divine inheritance and the bloodshed of Yeshua the Christ. Remember Peter? The one who denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. And then chapters later, we see Jesus in John 21 on the shore encountering Peter. And what is Peter doing? He's gone fishing. Back to the thing that he had once done. Let's just read this really quickly. John 21, verses 3 through 7. Simon Peter said unto them, I'm going fishing. They said unto him, We also will go with thee. And they went forth and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? And they answered him, No. 
And he said unto them, Cast your net on the other side of the ship, for you shall find. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw their nets out for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and he cast himself into the sea. I want us to notice something on that last part. It says that he girded his fisher coat to him, for he was naked. See, in that day, your coat represented your occupation, and your occupation associated your identity. Remember, that's just Jesus, the carpenter's son. See, what you did equaled who you were. When Adam sinned against God, God came down to Adam, and he covered his nakedness with fig. When Peter sinned and Jesus came after him, he covered himself with the coat of a fisherman, which was how man identified him, but not Jesus. Remember back in Matthew 4, he told them to leave their nets behind and he would make them fishers of men. See, moving on, we know how the story goes. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus said, then feed my little lambs. See, the outward expression of Peter's inward affection was not in his ability to preach, pray, or prophesy. It was in his obedience to the great commission of Jesus to feed the sheep, to win the loss, and release the kingdom of God everywhere he went. After this encounter, we see Peter chapters later in Acts 5.16 walking past Jerusalem, and the Bible says that as his shadow was casted over the people, everyone who was blind, crippled, lame, demon-possessed was completely healed, delivered, and set free as his shadow was casted upon them. Well, how many know the closer you get to the sun, the bigger your shadow? See, it wasn't just Peter walking in Jerusalem. It was Peter and Jesus walking hand in hand. And I believe that when Jesus looked through the lens of redemption and encountered Peter on the shore, that shame, guilt, condemnation was destroyed in a single moment. I believe that he looked on him with eyes of perfect love and said, that's not who you are. I believe in that moment of mercy, identity was revealed. And it caused Peter to become so convinced of Jesus' love for him and his identity in Christ that when Peter walked down the streets of Jerusalem, a chasm of time and space collided as heaven met earth. And the kingdom within transformed the kingdom around. Matthew 18, 18 says to bind on earth what's bound in heaven and loose on earth what's loose in heaven. Where the problem lies in the life of most Christians is that they do not know what exists in heaven. How can you loose what you've never inhabited? How many want to loose the kingdom everywhere they go? Amen. The second part of this message that I feel is critical for us to touch on is the crucifixion of Jesus. Because I believe that when it's viewed through the right lens, it will cause a divine repositioning in the way that we think and the way that we see ourselves as the beloved of God. I also believe it will cause us not to take lightly the cost that was paid for us to enter into intimacy with Christ and to be able to enter into his holy of holies. See, in Luke 22, verses 39 through 44, we read Jesus' prayer on the Mount of Olives. And starting with verse 39, it says, Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, Pray that you would not give in a temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel of heaven appeared and strengthened him, and he prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. What is this cup? See, I was sitting with the Lord in prayer one day, and I heard him whisper to me, What is this cup? What is the cup of suffering that Jesus drank? See, my whole life I heard it preached from the pulpit that the cup of Jesus drank was the cross. That he didn't want to, but he was willing to go to the cross for the sake of humanity. But what if I told you, friends, that it wasn't that at all? What if I told you that the cup wasn't the cross that Jesus dread? 
See, to understand fully, we have to observe the Gospel of John, which, by the way, was believed to have been written some 40 years after the synoptics. We know that the Gospels are the eyewitness account of Jesus' earthly ministry. However, there's something peculiar about John's Gospel. See, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all start with the genealogy of Jesus. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham is the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, and so on. See, but John's gospel starts like this. He goes back even further. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing that was made has been made. In Him was life, and His life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, in the beginning was the Word, meaning for all of eternity since the beginning of time, all Jesus knew was the presence of the Father. In fact, he had never been separated from his presence until sin separated him. He who knew no sin became sin. And on the cross, while Jesus is being crucified, he takes on every sin from Adam to the Roman soldiers who nailed him to the cross. And he cries aloud and he says, Eli, Eli, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? This is the only time throughout the entirety of scriptures that Jesus ever refers to the Father as my God. Every other depiction and the correlation of the relationship between Jesus and the Father is always my Father, seated in the place of beloved identity and sonship, seated at the Father's right hand. And for the first time, Jesus is getting ready to take on the abandonment of God's presence, to taste the abandonment of God's presence. And what if church, the thought that made blood sweat from his body was not the cross. It was the thought of being separated from the Father, the most precious gift that he had ever known, the presence of Almighty God. That is the cup that I believe Jesus drank, and it's also the thing which I believe that he came to seek and save, which was lost, which was koinonia, or communion with God, in his presence and at his feet. Amen. See, church, this is why it's so important for us to not take granted the cross of Calvary. This is why it's so important for us to understand what's available to us as believers, to not just come into the church and be lukewarm, to not just come into the church void of power, void of presence, because there was a high price paid because we were worth a high value to him. Amen. And intimacy with God is available to you by way of divine inheritance, that we get to inhabit something that we didn't pay a price for. This is what Deuteronomy talks about when it says that we'll inhabit land that we never bought, houses we never built. It's more than just monetary things. There's gifts and there's keys released all throughout the entirety of Scripture that if we would just enter in. Remember, we started this off with Proverbs 25, 2, where it says it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the honor of kings to search that matter out. Church, will you dare to believe with him today? Will you dare to search him out? The deep cries unto deep, and it's the depths of God's heart that are beckoning the depths of our heart to come into sweet communion with him. Amen. Let me pray for you all. Father, I thank you for every person listening, God. I thank you, Lord, Father, that every person under the sound of my voice, Lord, Father, has by their yes to even listen to this podcast, Lord, have said that, God, I'm hungry for more of you. Lord, it's the depths of your heart that are crying out for the depths of ours. God, I thank you, Lord, and I pray, Father, that they would come to know the heights, depths, wits of your love that surpasses understanding, God, that it's a higher realm than knowledge, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are drawing them deeper, God. I pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit's saying. Father, I pray that you would encounter them in the nights, Lord. We 
we just release dreams to them in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for dreams in the middle of the night, God. I pray, Father, that they would just begin to get new revelation, God, that as they begin to search the scriptures, Lord, that the key of the Holy Spirit would open the scroll and they would begin to see by way of revelation that divine impartation would take place and they would begin to understand, Lord Father, not just read to know, but read to understand, Father, what it is that you are saying in your word, Lord, that what you are confining in your holy scripture, Lord. I pray, God, that they would enter boldly before your presence, God. I pray that you would take them past the veil and into sweet communion with you, God, that they would come to know you, Lord, in a deeper measure, Lord, to sit at your feet and allow the oil of your presence to saturate every part of who they are until they ooze from every fiber of their being with the glory and the fragrance of God. Lord, I thank you, Father, that they're not just uh, flame starters, but they're flame keepers, God. I thank you, Lord, that revival's their portion, God. I thank you, Lord, that what they're learning, God, and what you're imparting to them, Lord, is not just something for personal devotion, but, God, it's a place of inhabitation that everywhere they walk, God, that they would continue to exemplify the works of the kingdom, God, that the kingdom within would alter the kingdom around, God, that they would bind on earth what's bound in heaven, loose on earth what's loose in heaven. God, I thank you, Lord, that they would be walking encounters, Lord Father, that when people see them, they see the Father. And Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that this day, God, will mark something in their life, God, that you will take them deeper than they've ever gone before, Lord Father, into the heights, depths, and widths of your presence, Father. I thank you, Lord, and I bless your people, God. I seal this right now in the name that is above all every other name, Father. I thank you, Lord, and we give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If this has blessed you guys, I just ask that you share it. I ask that you subscribe. That way you can get notifications every time another episode comes out. We want to continue to put free resources in your hands um, and just continue to uh, just pray for you guys and be a support system. If there's anything you guys need or any prayer requests, you can email us at consumingloveministries at gmail.com. We love you guys. We bless you guys and can't wait to be with you again. 